Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Rage Proof Rock's The Least of All Possible Mistakes, Ghostbusters from 2016, and the pilot episode of Elementary. Hello and welcome to episode 48, Girls Just Want to Have Fun and Stab Things. <laughs> I'm Alex and I'm the Wizard Howl. I'm Freya and I'm Stephen Maturin. I'm Macy and I'm Jack Rackham. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And why are we these things that we are? Like, what is the... Why are we dudes? Why, why are we dudes? Well, it's doodly reimaginings. <laughs> <laughs> doodly reimaginings of us. That's true. We sort of thought about it backwards. We were thinking, what are we the female reimaginings of when it comes to fictional yeah, yes. characters? Some of these were very easy to land on. <coughs> Alex. Yes. Yeah. In Alex. fact, Freya was like, I, I had not even seen the, the conversation yet. I was busy getting my shit together. And Freya just posted in the group chat, like, we all agree that Alex is the wizard howl, right? Uh, and I came back, I saw that we were imagine like we were coming up with the ones. I went, oh, I'm the wizard Hal, and literally the next thing I see is Freya suggesting that. And I'm like, <laughs> you get me, you understand. Yeah, yeah. But then we had to have like a five yeah. minute discussion about me. Oh, Freya. Yeah. <laughs> and Freya's the complicated it's one. It's hard to find like reserved, elegant, science gentlemen. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's true, because there are a lot of science gentlemen, but they are not quite right personalities. Yeah, they're two disasters. They're disasters. Yes. Whereas I am Jack Rackham because I am a disaster. Stephen Maturin is from what? Stephen Maturin is from the Master and Commander books by Patrick that's O'Brien. Right. He is the ship's doctor who is also a spy, who is also incredibly <laughs> snarky and plays the... Was he play the cello? Yeah, cello? he plays the cello. Yeah. And just is very long-suffering about his best friend which wonderful which is, yeah, yeah yeah i think alex you and i together are the um captain to stephen maturin's doctor captain oh, aubrey probably. oh we, yeah yes we are the disaster that freya must <laughs> sigh and then rescue yes we do have we do sort of trade back and forth the big chaos energy Anyway, let's uh, move along. The next question that I have for you is, what are we reading, fellow serpents? I can't remember if I had finished drafting my book when we last recorded, but if not, I have finished drafting my novel. Round of applause, Yay! please. It is a 170,000 word monster, which <laughs> yeah, I am now going job. to ignore for two months while my agent looks at it and writes things all over it. So I have had some time to read, and most recently I have read a book called The Flat Share by Beth O'Leary. This is a really fantastic romantic comedy. I think it's one of the, my favorite romance novels that I've read all year. And the setup of it is that there is two people who share the same flat in London, but they don't... Oh, it's that Yes, one. they never occupy it at the same time. So Tiffy uses it during the evening. She sleeps in it, and then she goes off to work. And during the day, Leon, who works the night shift at... Um, a hospice comes home and sleeps in the bed and then he leaves again in the evening to go to work and he spends weekends elsewhere. So they never meet, but they start communicating via post-it notes. So it starts off as a beautiful little um, epistolary romance on post-it notes. And then obviously they meet and their lives become intertwined. It's very cute. It's got really good, clear voice distinguishing the two characters, which Mm. I really liked. And it's also a very empathetic and clear and interesting look at somebody realizing that their last relationship was abusive and learning to Mm. uh, extricate themselves from the mess that that has made of their self-worth so Mm. it's good it's got some really sort of hard themes in it but it's a really funny really well-written book definitely recommend that Um, I also just in the middle of The Unspoken Name by A.K. Lockwood, who's one of Macy's agent siblings. Very much enjoying it so far. The main character is a disaster lesbian in the best sense. (laughs) And she She is. is. And I have also recently dived headfirst into the Bon Appetit Test Kitchen's YouTube video channel, which, again, Again. well, see, before I was just watching things featuring my true love, Claire Saffitz, uh, who I have not met a queer woman who has not 
seen these videos and fallen in love with Claire. Hashtag sapphics for sapphics. Uh, <laughs> but now I am watching all of the other ones with these just like lovely, funny people who just cook things for you or get into fights about how to make the perfect mashed potatoes or have to recreate <laughs> stupid burgers by smell alone. I don't know. It's a really, really charming channel. I love everybody on it. It's wonderful relaxation TV to watch while you are cooking or while you're doing something else. So that is my other current media consumption. Macy? Nice. It's fair. It sounds a little bit like how I treat the Hugh Fernley Whittingstall show oh yes love back that to river show. cottage aka the one who alex can't pronounce um, that guy with the farm i have read at least one and a half books um but i'm going to talk about the one book because i have been reading the winter duke by claire eliza bartlett who's one of my agent siblings and this is a young adult book about a traumatized baby science lesbian in a shitty royal family where all of the royals around her get cursed with a sleeping curse and whoops you're on the throne now have fun and then she wifes like one of the prospective wives of her brother the crown prince and like there's now a disaster horse lesbian in the mix who is really cute and distressed at the lack of horses Great. in this ice kingdom and it's a problem but i it does something really cool which i don't think i've ever seen in YA before, where the protagonist is just genuinely god-awful mm. at her job. Like, she's just terrible. She cannot keep her counsellor's names straight. She can't be nice to anyone. She can barely be polite to anyone. She's, like, on the verge of losing her kingdom at all times. And I kind of it's like the opposite that. of the Goblin Emperor. Yeah! No, she's just real bad I think at I it. I would find that very stressful. <laughs> It's a little bit stressful, but it helps that her wife is really good at it and, like, helps okay. and, like, makes it all okay. Like, yeah, that yeah. helps a lot. So I really enjoyed it. Um, this poor baby just wants to be allowed to go back to dissecting animals in peace. Mm. Which is... A mood. Something of a mood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I have been in the middle of a knitting project, so I have been oh, doing God, a lot yes. of things. Um <laughs> I listened to the audiobook for Penric and the Shaman by Lois McMaster Bujold. Uh, it's the second book in the series. It was fantastic. It is about a uh, young man with a uh, demon best friend who lives in his head and helps him do magics. Uh, and I have listened to 49 episodes of the Balance <laughs> Arc of Taz within the last week. Listeners, you need to well, see my expression weeks. right now, but I don't think I can describe it to you. This is like the fourth time that I've listened to the Balance Arc of the Adventure <laughs> Zone, and it remains extremely good. Uh, I reread Red, Red, White, and Royal Blue because I needed some fluff and some kissing, and uh, the, but the most standout piece of media that I have read uh, in the last two weeks was a Good Omens fanfiction called Demonology and the Triphasic Model of Trauma, an Integrative Approach by NNM, uh, which is the elevator pitch for it is just Crowley goes to therapy. <laughs> it's from the therapist's perspective. And it is brilliant. It is deep and and it really digs its fingers into the meat of, of character and trauma and recovery and what it's like to be in therapy and how hard it is and both like for the person in therapy and also for the therapist as like an emotional journey. Yeah, I, I, and, I read this on Alex's recommendation and I think I would change the pitch to be Crowley goes to therapy, therapy goes to Crowley. <laughs> <laughs> that is very good. That's basically what happened. I, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I really enjoyed this. So I don't good. think I enjoyed it quite as much as Alex did. I think there were some things about the stylistic choices made by the writer that yeah. did not work for me, but did work for Alex. I think I was more in into the voice than you were and like sort of the mm. the rhythm and of the the prose but but I, I agree it was a very interesting and enjoyable gorgeous pick. yeah and macy you have a news do you i do have a news because today is november 20th right yes. allegedly i, I mean today is october 25th <laughs> but today is also somehow november 20th at the same time yes yes it is definitely november 20th Darling listeners, um, Freya and I have a cool ongoing project 
that we want to talk to you about. Yes, we do. We do. We have an anthology of stabby lesbians and dress lesbians. Mm -hmm. um, Which are, of course, the two greatest subgenres of lesbians. It's true. Like, what other kinds of classifications of lesbian do you need than the one who stabs and the one who swishes? Yeah. Yes. And they can both be disaster lesbians or neither. Or neither. You have all sorts of permutations. But most importantly, the Kickstarter for the anthology, which is called Silk and Steel, which we will link in the show notes, Mm -hmm. is open until Monday, the 25th. And we have all sorts of super awesome rewards and arcs. And you can call me up and make me tell you maths. And if we manage to make it to $12,000 and fund ourselves to pay professional rates, there might be enamel pins. Ooh. And I really want there to be enamel pins. Listen, th- you have to understand, it is actually October 25th right now, yeah. so it hasn't launched. So I have no idea if we're going to get to that funding level, but I really want to. <laughs> yes, we all want pins. If you, if you have a couple extra dollars, please uh, go consider... Uh, supporting this p- project on Patreon or uh, not on Patreon on Kickstarter, on Kickstarter. Uh, I can tell you that I am super excited about this project because I get a front row seat to this happening but I don't actually have to do any real work uh, which is sort of like move. the best position to be in yeah yeah yep. I have to do many work but I'm, I have help and we have JY Yang and Aliette Bodard and Nibadita Sen and a bunch of my agent siblings. Fantastic. All sorts of cool people. So come fund us. Wonderful. Yes. Now, speaking of ladies. Speaking of indeed. ladies. So disclaimer at the beginning of the episode, dear listeners, uh, this is going to be talking about female reimaginings and uh, women in fiction and so forth. Every time we say female reimaginings or female or women, I want you to imagine that we're saying female presenting or even more dystopianically <laughs> living a, living in a society that views you as female. Um, because like there are sort of social aspects, like when society sees you as female or as a woman, like there are things that get imposed upon you regardless of your gender identity. And Mm -hmm. depending on how exactly you are presenting as female, that is like a whole spectrum of of responses. And it is a big and complex issue. Uh, but to keep it simple, we're just going to be talking about female reimaginings. Yes. Real quick, do we want to define some terms? What, like, is there a difference between female reimaginings versus gender swap versus gender bent versus sex swap? So, fandom has a lot of different ways that it likes to play with gender, which I think we've guessed. Yeah. Um, but for a long while there, historically, the term was always gender swap. And then people started pointing out hey, if you're swapping the gender of a character, what you're really saying is that they are trans, right? You're not swapping their body. If you're swapping the body as well, you are cis-swapping, right? Mm -hmm. You're saying not only is the character a woman, they were born and assigned female at birth. Yes. Um, So that is what we may fall back to using gender swap when we mean cis-swap. We generally in this episode are mostly going to be talking about um, cis-female reimaginings of these stories, but not, not only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there, there can be, there's a subdivision in fandom of stories where this is the case, where it's, they have always been like this and how did this affect the story, mm-hmm. which is what we are focusing on today. But there is also a subgenre of a character wakes up or yeah. is somehow magically turned into, or there is alien tech involved or mm. something, and they become female, I guess, embodied and maybe in mind maybe in not like there's a whole different ways in which people play with that in fandom but i think yeah. we are focusing on the ones where they have always been mm-hmm. they were assigned it at birth and this is, has affected how they have grown up functioned in the world and functioned within the story yep cool yeah i was i was trying to look up what is that is it rule 23 or rule one of the oh one of the rules of fandom which is that you will always be able to find a female version of something somewhere I don't know which I one it is. Don't there's one that there's one that's you'll be able to find it as porn. That's thirty four. And there's that's thirty four. And then there is one that is a different rule and I'm now trying to look it up. We can ask our darling research assistants cough scribes. Yeah. Yes. Which and rule who was are much that? smarter which than us? Which rule is that? Who are much smarter than us in the means of asking the internet questions. Yes. Because that's sometimes how people tag fan works. It's rule yes. this 
person. Yeah, we will find Which is, out. again, about them having always been that way. Yeah. So first, though, the, the very first temple that we're going to be talking about is the 2016 Ghostbusters, uh, mm-hmm. which is a fresh and new updated version of the old classic urban paranormal mystery <laughs> what genre is that uh comedy. film comedy yeah. yes Mis- yeah. paranormal comedy. comedy that's it yeah from like the fucking 90s late 80s something like that uh which was all dudes plus a secretary plus a sexy lady who gets possessed by a demon and they so in in the new version if you haven't seen it yet what are you waiting for go out and do that immediately uh it is pretty much flipped right along the binary uh because you get a um like the the team of the ghostbusters is all female uh mm-hmm. and then they have a hot dumb secretary who is a man yes they do uh, and and <laughs> there is a uh, male villain who is the the like supernatural antagonist guy and it's interesting because it's not precisely that these are the same people who've been sex no no, there is some there is some nuance and some difference in like their life experience and and everything, which I thought was great. Yeah, it's the role that has been uh, sex swapped in this case, yeah. mm-hmm. which I think you have you have to do that because I mean you could attempt to base them on the original characters and t- and take some bits and pieces of their life, but I think I really love that they came up with this set of beautiful fresh characters mm-hmm. who are all very different kinds of women. Yeah, they're all their own people. Um, like their own characters, which is, yeah, just fantastic. I love them a lot, but I also, I will admit, I have a really hard time watching this movie because I relate to Erin too hard. Mm. And then I have to like hide and cover my ears, which doesn't make for an easy viewing of the movie. Yeah. It's true. Like the, some of the humor around Erin's situation is quite dark watching it as a very relatable professional woman finding herself in this situation that she is where she's you know desperately attempting to get tenure that even though she dresses in this incredibly sort of dull and professional way she is still being told that she's not dressing appropriately yeah that she can't do anything well enough to get tenure despite the fact that she's clearly brilliant right and the whole allegory of like she gets into ghosts because when she's a kid she was haunted for a year there uh, an old lady uh, who lived next door died and every single night would stand at the foot of her bed and she tried telling her parents she tried telling her teachers and her friends she tried telling people about this traumatic scary thing that was happening to her and nobody believed her yeah which is a very real sort of thing that happens I wonder, to many like they what what they might have been talking about what, with that what i Ooh. i wonder yeah totally unknown mysterious life event that yes. that might be for a young girl yes yeah, yeah. and i <laughs> yep and the focus on the friendship between her and oh my god what's McCarthy's character called abby um is also lovely because it is this very realistic portrayal of the way that a female friendship can change Mm -hmm. how you can be incredibly incredibly close to someone and it be the most important relationship in your life and essentially they went through a friendship breakup Mm -hmm. and abby still feels incredibly betrayed by that and is still carrying around that hurt and then you know erin comes with this new perceived hurt of something that abby has done to her which is messing with her ability to find her place in the male world of academia. And I don't think you could have that sort of story of a friendship between two guys in a movie. I want to say that, like, um, Due South kind of manages it over the course of a TV show to actually get dudes to be vulnerable and value friendship in that way. Mm -hmm. But it's... Swapping the gender changes the dynamics that the film can examine. Yes. I think. I think if it was going to happen between men, it would be... I'm just trying to think, usually it would be the, a lazy storytelling device, like, we used to be best friends, and then you slept with my sister, or yeah. like, it would be something, like, there would be a woman at the heart of the breakup. Because yeah. there has or, to be, if you're having an emotion as a man, that has to be because of a woman's fault. Yeah, and, like, because we live in a society where toxic masculinity is so much a thing, like, men are very much discouraged from having mm-hmm. intense friendships, in a way that women aren't like like women have intense intense emotional friendships with each other all the time um and that is both a good thing and 
a harmful thing on both sides, right? Because like on one hand, like you're letting someone into your heart and like there's so many op- more opportunities to be hurt. And then on the toxic masculinity side, like you need to open up your heart and be vulnerable to people because like shutting yourself off isn't healthy either. Um, mm. Yeah. I think one of the things that this does is show you different female friendships in different stages of development because yes, they yes. are putting together a team. So you have this X intense relationship of people rediscovering how much they mean to each other. You have the really like fun, relaxed friendship between Abby uh, and Jillian, what's her face? Holtzman. 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 Um, Holt- Holtzman, the greatest. Holtzman, who is an amazing character. I love Holtzman. Yes. I think oh I might God. love Patty more. But Patty that's is also only because fantastic. Patty is amazing, not because Holtzman yep. isn't amazing. Yeah, and you see Patty getting to become part of this group mm-hmm. as well. Like they and they all bring something different. And I think some of my favorite scenes in it are just ones of sort of very unabashedly expressed joy and being able to be silly with one another, mm-hmm. like dancing around and you know talking about food and talking about you know less than elegant things and yeah. hugging each other and expressing rage and expressing affection in a yeah. way that's actually really nice to see in a group of people who have come together as a team like a professional team but right. are being allowed to have that kind of found family unit that we all love as well and i want to talk a little bit about erin's sexual harassment of the dumb secretary boy mm, yes go ahead because what's his name kevin Hems. kevin kevin he's <laughs> he's not he's not great at doing his job shall we say but erin looks at him kind of like she's very clearly attracted to him and makes comments and you know tries to dance with him and it doesn't cross into like super gross levels no but it's also very clear that they're saying something about the previous movie yeah yeah like it's it's definitely a level of awkward and like there's some times where you like want to hide your face a little bit and go like Aaron, please no Aaron. Um, and like, I would not be okay seeing this go down in that way in an actual workplace. Right. No, right. absolutely not. Like, no. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that was a thing that I would, I could see why they were including it, but it's probably my least favorite aspect yeah. of the movie because it turns something that's a, a joyful reclamation into, well, you know, you did this. So we're going to do the same slightly gross thing, to, which I didn't to, to lampshade think was it. the right. point. Right. Well, I think yeah. that it made me think of In Other Lands. And the elf matriarchy, mm, yeah, a little bit where they're, they're saying something about how unacceptable it is by by showing it in a different context. But there was also, of course, the whole massive internet backlash about this movie. Oh yeah, people were mad about it. People were really, really mad, and I think that's really interesting to me when you're looking at the context of reinventing roles for women. What was the spy movie that? we were watching. uh salt is it salt salt is the one where angelina jolie took uh, a role that had originally been written for a man mm. and basically said i'll do it if we change the character to female and change nothing else about the role so nothing about the motivations or the actions that this character takes um and let's see what happens mm-hmm. i think i'm thinking about also there was one i think that um atomic blonde no, not Atomic Blonde, the comedy spy movie. Oh, not... it's just called Spy. Spy, yes. Yeah. Um, I think there's movie. like a few movies at the moment where they're just saying it's ridiculous that we can't just do this with women, so we're just going to, yeah. and yes. screw you. So so Spy was also directed by Paul Feig, who directed ah. this Ghostbusters. So he's doing quite a lot of stuff with female-centric comedy at nice. the moment. Nice, Yeah, super but, yeah, cool. Right. You're right, there was this really big backlash and they actually lampshaded it directly in the film With the well. YouTube comments. With, with the YouTube comments on the videos of them, which I thought was an am- See, that's the way to do that kind of lampshading. Just yeah. like mm-hmm. extend your middle finger via the script. Yep. Yep. But we should move on to the more classical kind of fandom sex yes. swap. So our second tentpole is a fanfic called The Least of All Possible Mistakes by Rage Proof Rock. Woo! Favourite of the of the podcast. I really uh, love this fic. I love this fic too. I've reread the first half of it many, many times. I think it's very long, so I yes. don't often get all the way through it. But I reread it in its entirety for this episode. 
It is a BBC Sherlock fanfic, and the sex swap character is Lestrade, the detective who works with Sherlock at New Scotland Yard. So in this, Lestrade is called Georgiana, but or just also known as George, mm-hmm. George Lestrade. And I think it is an absolutely amazing take on the story of BBC Sherlock pretty much from, I think it's the first three and a bit seasons. Mm-hmm. I don't know because I stopped watching it. But it, it goes up at... through it goes up through Reichenbach Falls and a little bit after Reichenbach Falls. And it yes. starts before the beginning. Yeah. And it starts before the beginning. So you are seeing these characters intersect with Sherlock and then with Watson as well. But you're seeing a lot more of what's happening with Lestrade herself. And it mm-hmm. is a Lestrade Mycroft fic. <laughs> and her relationship with Mycroft and also her relationship with Mycroft's assistant Anthea oh, are just so some good. of these beautifully, beautifully drawn, um, a, like a slow build romance, um, a sort of unusual friendship. Mm-hmm. And it does absolutely stunning things with looking at how this particular character, and obviously there's a lot of fleshing out, like Lestrade is not a particularly three-dimensional yeah. character in BBC Sherlock the show, but it says if someone was in this particular position and having to interact with these outrageously interesting and you know not quite real characters like Sherlock Holmes and mm-hmm. Mycroft Holmes, what kind of person would that be? And what kind of struggles would they be facing in the position that they are? Yeah, and I think to me, I don't universally enjoy Sherlock fic because the the canon is just so unredeemedly doodly. Yeah, and by placing this one woman in this one key role, they almost like redeem the whole setting for me because it just recontextualizes the shittiness that is, you know, the only women you see being. Um, what's her name with the perfect measurements and the one police detective who is a shrew who always makes Sherlock annoyed. Irene Adler is the first one. There we go. (laughs) And Uh, Sally Donovan is the second. There we go. I'm good at names. Yeah, and this gives Sally another female police Mm -hmm. person to bounce off at and George has a lot of thoughts about the way in which Sally behaves and how she has to behave that way in order to be taken seriously and how she's going to be commissioner of the Met one day because she has chosen to you know, pour all of her professional appearance into this is who I am. Yeah. yeah. Um, and George I, doesn't. I definitely agree with you, Macy, about like a lot of Sherlock thick being really difficult to read because to me, a lot of it comes off like kind of apologism for how Sherlock behaves and how he treats other people. And this very much lampshades the fact that Sherlock is just a dick and treats other people like dicks sometimes. And... And George is this, like, normal, sensible person, as you said. And, like, she's the person who has to interact with it. And, like, she changes how he acts because he sort of, like, realizes a little bit that, like, he needs to treat her differently. My favorite thing in this entire fic is the long-running gag of Sherlock deducing that George is fucking oh, Mycroft and god, then deleting yes. it from his brain and then remembering it. Oh my god! And, and sometimes then George yeah. like taunting him by like dropping these long hints about the dirty, depraved sex she's having with her lover without letting him deduce yet who it is, Incredible. just so that the next time he deduces that, he will have all that backlog to catch up. <laughs> oh, it's so good! And occasionally think- just like springing it on him as a punishment yeah. for it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so just good. Like, uh, if she wants yeah. him to shut up and go away, she's just like, "I'm fucking your brother." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Runs out of the room. (sighs) I think you're absolutely right that this has a more nuanced portrayal of Sherlock as a character, or at least a more examined portrayal Mm -hmm. than the show does, because the show occasionally faints in the direction of (sighs) making Sherlock not entirely, you know, heroic and remarkable and extraordinary and a hero uh, through some of the things that you see with John Watson, but mostly it's fairly unapologetic in portraying him as this extraordinary human being. And George says, well, yes, he is an extraordinary human being. He's also like a three-year-old at heart and occasionally just needs to be like pulled around and told to sit in a corner. And she can see the parts of him that are extraordinary and she does love him in her own way. But her, you can just see how unbelievably frustrating it must be to try and work with someone like that. And so you, you end up loving Sherlock slightly more than the, despite yourself, slightly more than the version in the show who is not enormously lovable. He's just admirable 
Yeah. Sidebar, yeah. and this is none of this at all goes against anyone who writes in Sherlock fandom. This is entirely us wishing that TV studios would stop paying Moffat to wank on TV. Honestly, yes, yeah. please. Just stop. Just like just, stop. Did you not learn enough with Yanto and Children of Earth? Because I'm uh, not over that. Well, none of us are over that. Um anyway. also, side sidebar of the sidebar. Um, I listened to this as a podfic. And I just want to, like, shout out some appreciation mm. for the podfic because it is very good. Yay! Excellent. Yay! Like, more appreciation for podfics, I think. Yes, podfics are yeah. awesome. But one of my favorite things that was covered many, many times in this story mm. is how women are socialized and the amount of emotional yes. labor they end up doing. So you can tell that George in this is doing a lot more emotional labor for Sherlock and yes. on his behalf and and also what is expected of her in a police role which right. is a traditionally masculine role but also a public facing and coming across people at very difficult times in their life right. role mm-hmm. um, similar to medicine yes and the bits where she's talking about people who are grieving and telling them like that their spouse has died or whatever Yes. Yeah, and, and that she has you know, experience in doing that and she's obviously learned to do it, but she there is more expectation of the emotional side of it mm-hmm. with her. And it did strike a chord for me, honestly, because as a general practitioner, I see a lot of people, mm. obviously with mental health issues, a lot of mm. difficult things going on in their life, and female GPs disproportionately get the brunt of mental health work hmm. in medicine because people are much more likely to go and see a female GP about their depression or their anxiety or their fears about something mm. than a male GP because we are expected to be more emotionally uh, open and, you know, better better at that. Willing, and, to, willing to do the emotional labor. Yeah, willing to do the yeah. emotional labor. And I've, I've run into trouble with that when I'm helping uh, trainee GPs. For example, if a young female GP trainee goes to a practice where she's now the only female doctor, oh, no. she will burn out very fast because mm. suddenly all of the people who usually go and see the male GPs for their, you know, oh, I twisted my ankle or I've got a cough will go and see her for the mental health stuff. And you can get very burned out very quickly mm. if you are the person that people go to for mental health. Mm. And it was interesting that she, you know, in this fic, George is trying to do her actual detective work, but finds herself having to handle the emotions of her own people yep. and of the people that they are coming into contact with because she's a woman. Yeah, yeah. But it also had a lot to say about being brilliant and men being able or not able to deal with that like particularly the way that her divorce went down because Mm -hmm. in this fic george is married at the beginning of the fic and her husband essentially is cheating on her because she's outgrown him yeah and so you get the contrast here of mycroft who it wouldn't even occur to him to find her being brilliant a turn off yes yeah and george doesn't think of herself as brilliant no, and there, not are, at all. there are some moments where Mycroft sort of takes a step back and is like, you, you know, you, you have no idea, you know, how extraordinary you are and how good you are at things. But I, in general, their relationship is one that's very comfortable. Like you mm-hmm. don't see it's a so lot of English. this kind of thing. It's, <laughs> it's very so English. English. It's, it's extremely restrained. This, this fic is excessively British, and that's me speaking. And they have this love language of like exquisitely chosen, subtle gifts. Yep. And the fact that Mycroft could buy her absolutely anything in the world means that, like, it's more meaningful when he does different things for her. Go buys yeah. her something that's very small, uh, but has emotional meaning. Yeah, or they gets have, Anthe- or gets Anthea to buy her a pony. Or they have to buy her a pony. an explicit rule between them that any gifts that they exchange have to be worthless. Yes, yep. which I thought was was wonderful because that, like, I think Mycroft is. Uh, like Mycroft is incredibly, incredibly, unconscionably wealthy, um, yep. and it just makes it more meaningful that like he would buy her something pointless because he thinks that she would like it rather than something expensive. Yeah. Um, and also, I I put a dot point here about there there was one line in particular that really like jumped out and slapped me across the face, mm-hmm. and it's it, towards the middle of chapter ten. It's this line about George's candy floss smile, quote, the one she's been cultivating all her life, unquote, which will make even the most terrifying woman look harmless. Uh, and so she is trapped in a, quote unquote, trapped uh, in a evidence room with Sebastian Moran, who is a bad guy and who wants to murder her. And she is 
kind of i don't think she knows it's him no. at, the, at that point. no she just but has she a has, bad vibe she has that bad vibe that every female bodied person yeah. uh has developed over the course yeah. of her life about like there's a predator in the room with me and so she smiles and so she's sweet and she uses that to de-escalate the situation until she can get out of it and i was like that's so real that is so real yeah, and the fact that she's a woman, you can tell it frustrates her that it is possible for her to be put in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there is an extra element of menace to all of her interactions with Moran and even in the ways in which she is then assumed to be and used as a weakness for Mycroft. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's this sense that it doesn't matter in the slightest the amount of power and social capital that you as a woman have built up because you are still a woman. Yeah. And there are still threats which will be effective against you regardless of the rest if they have you alone in a small room. Yep. Also, like, the the bit where Sebastian Moran goes to her house and she's at her house alone and she lets him in anyway. I had chills going up my spine. I was like, I can't deal with this. This is... Yeah, and she makes him tea because that's what you do when you're English and you have a guest. And then later on, she has this moment of fury thinking, this man was in my kitchen. I made him tea. How dare he? And that sense of having your boundaries crossed. Yeah. Yeah. And someone having gotten their grubby predator fingers on your safe spaces. Yes. Yeah. That was really, like, the writing in this is incredible. Like, everything Rage Proof Fuck does is very good. But this is a beautifully, beautifully written story. Like, all of the emotional points are just done so well. It's a really great masterclass. I had a friend recently I was talking to about um, improving her interiority skills. And this is amazing at giving you interiority of people that you're not in their heads mm-hmm. like you know what Mycroft is feeling even if George doesn't and I don't know how Prue does it but it's amazing Magic. or even Anthea yeah. right yeah you have the inside of their heads and I'm like how mm. but anyway we are more than halfway through the episode so we should talk about elementary because let's talk about elementary so we were thinking around what to tentpole for this episode and we were like, do we want to do two Sherlock Holmes ones? But yeah. like, it's it's public domain and it is one that gets gender flipped or sex swapped a lot. So yeah. one of my favorite police procedural shows is the show Elementary. And I think, Freya, you watch it sometimes? And Alex, I watched the not. first season and a bit. I watched w- a bit of the first season. Yeah, I've watched six seasons. Um, and I found, we went back and rewatched the pilot specifically for this episode. And I found it fascinating um, how different this version of Watson, the female Joan Watson's impression of Sherlock Holmes was in that first episode, the way their relationship developed off the cuff, yeah. compared to the way BBC Sherlock's did. Because BBC Sherlock's Watson was immediately infatuated. And yes. she is immediately, like, the elementary's Watson is immediately taking zero shit from Sherlock. Oh, yes. Because yeah. contextually as well, she has been hired as a sober companion for a fresh-out-of-rehab addict Sherlock. Yeah. So it's her job to take none of his shit. Oh, yeah. But it's also interesting that they start off on the, that basis of her knowing this thing about him. Right. Because the whole thing about being an addict is something that slowly gets revealed when it mm-hmm. comes to most Sherlock and Watson relationships. Whereas the you know this central vulnerability or this central flaw that he has is right up front and centre oh, yeah. in, the, in the relationship between them from the beginning of this show. He's also a more empathetic Sherlock than we generally see. Yep. Like he still is fucking up and he still is like running roughshod over people and he still is considering himself the smartest person in the room and everyone else is kind of like an idiot who is going too slow for him. Um, but mm. he apologizes to to Watson, I think, twice in the mm. the pilot and both yeah. times it is sincere and he realizes he, he knows what he did wrong and why it happened and he's probably still going to do it again, but he's capable of showing regret. Mm. And a lot of things about their interactions do take on that significance because it is between a man and a woman. And you're Mm -hmm. right that a sincere apology and admission that she was in the right from a man to a woman Mm -hmm. is quite powerful. Uh, But even before that, you were speaking, Macy, when we were talking about least of all possible mistakes about the kinds of threats that can only be made to a woman. Yes. He starts off on the defensive 
and tries to scare her away. I think he would have tried to scare off any sober companion that his father hired for him. But because she's a woman, he is specifically and aggressively gendered in how he chooses to do that. Like he immediately shushes her and tries to cut her off the first time they have an encounter. He makes these comments like, oh yes, I can't wait for you to tidy up my house um, and makes a lot of sort of crude sexual references trying to, like he's trying to get at her in terms of learn more about her and work out where her weak spots are. But you can tell in the way that they interact, there are things he's saying to her and doing that he would not be doing with a man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was also very interesting. Um, One of the things he does in the first episode is she's very organized and uptight and sets two alarm clocks in the morning. And he sneaks into her room, presumably at some point in the night, and unplugs them both. And so she wakes up late and is late and appears disheveled and late. And it's very interesting to me that somehow this pilot never had a threat of sexual violence from Sherlock towards Watson in its atmosphere, even though he's sneaking into her bedroom while she slept. Oh yeah, you don't get a vibe from that at all. Like, it's very, like, clean clean and chaste. And, like, you don't have that, that vibe of, like, this is a potential predator. You need to be careful. And I think the reason that I note that is because if they had even the slightest hint of that, I would not have been interested in watching this show Mm -hmm. because the power dynamics between any Sherlock and any Watson are always going to be a little bit uneven. And if that was going to be part of it, then that is not fun to me. Mm. Yep. And the way that they create that balance, especially near the end of the episode, is where she actually gets to show that she has that some of the seducing ability and ability Mm -hmm. to see people as well where she's trying to get out of him what happened in London and he says something and then she goes, thank you for telling me, now I know it was because of a woman. Mm-hmm. And you can see this moment where he has this frozen moment of, no, I have been seen and understood <laughs> in the way that I'm I'm the person who does the seeing and the understanding. How dare she? The mortifying ordeal of being known. The mortifying oh ordeal God. of being known. and But it immediately puts them on a much more equal footing mm-hmm. going forward because – you're absolutely right. There is an inherent imbalance in the power of someone who can see and understand so much so well. Yes. And it says, actually, she has a knack for this too. She will not hesitate to turn it back on him. This is going to be a partnership, yes. not just a man want running around while a woman applauds. And yeah. you couldn't have that sort of fawning that you get from the John Watson and the BBC version towards from a woman to a man without it being nauseating. Oh, yeah. Oh right? yeah, the dynamic absolutely. wouldn't work. It would maybe twenty years ago it would have been great, but like today, mm, no. Mm. no, no, no. We, we want a that. Yeah. we want a yeah. badass and not, woman and an equal. Mm. And it's not relevant to the pilot of Elementary, but it is relevant to Elementary as a mm-hmm. whole in terms of female reimaginings. In that, are we going to spoil season one? Oh please, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's not. Yeah, it's not. In weird. that, in Elementary, Irene Adler and Moriarty yeah. are the same person, which was one of my favorite characters and, and favorite Natalie reveals Dormer. as and Natalie, Natalie Dormer, Dormer doing her absolute best I could kill you with my little finger sexually ambiguous blink yep. like oh amazing Doesn't she and hit on Watson at one point I think she does like it's just yeah. she's incredible like this amazing character and it does flip the whole thing on its head because from the beginning you're like oh okay he was hurt by a woman then something went down with Irene and you meet Irene you're like yeah okay but the fact that they let not only Watson but Moriarty, the one person who's, you know, the equal, the equal. So they, and then if you look at the original Sherlock Holmes canon, Irene Adler is the one woman who outwitted Sherlock Holmes. And Moriarty is the person who he considers to be his intellectual equal and nemesis. And they let (laughs) both of those people be the same person and be a woman. This show is so smart and kind. Yeah. Yeah, it's I much, think that's why I, it's much, my go-to much, procedural. Much kinder than the BBC Sherlock, absolutely. Oh. Like light years kinder than yep. the BBC Sherlock. And and Mrs. and what's her name? The Mrs. Mrs. Hudson, Hudson is a trans woman in yep. this one. Yeah, I don't think I got far enough to see that. She doesn't play very much of a part in this. Um, they don't have a permanent housekeeper per se, who is part of the household. Huh? But yeah, I'm gonna have to watch more of this show. It's a good yeah, show. Now I'm, wishing, now I'm wishing I'd watched a bit more. But And uh, one of Sherlock's more serious later on girlfriends is um, an autistic woman. Uh, oh. They... Do, they, do they ever go, like, do they make Sherlock bisexual or do they keep him straight? 
I don't think they made him buy. Okay. That's the only thing which I would be like, okay, this is the perfect show now. Yeah, I don't I don't know. But I also want to drag the episode a little bit back more towards the fandom meaning of female reimaginings. Hmm. Um and talk about like some of the reasons that we might see this. Because I have a theory that sometimes swapping the sex of an existing character is one of the few ways you can get a kick-ass woman character that you cannot be accused of being a Mary Sue. Yes. And I think that this theory in part is coming from all the fucking Tony Stark gender cis swaps. Yeah, because like a Tony Stark character in any other context, you'd be like, yeah, that's a Mary Sue. I mean, Tony Stark himself is a is Gary such... Stu. Like, yeah. absolutely. Um, and the only reason that you can get away with that kind of thing is because of the high, high charisma he has. Mm. But now in fandom, you can't accuse anyone of, oh, she would never be able to do that without showing your ass as a misogynist because that's literally just a translation of Tony Stark. And the contrast to that is how Rey from Star Wars gets treated. Yes. Because she's an original human female woman who couldn't possibly have done all that. I'm just like, Luke was at least as bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so if you were writing a fanfic where she was a gender-swapped or cis-swapped Luke, you couldn't be like, that's a Mary Sue. I feel like I have been seeing so much less quote-unquote Mary Sue fanfic mm. in this decade than I did in the previous decade. Because like when I first started reading fan fiction back in the back in the before times <laughs> yeah, um yeah. Like i was like like 2003 2004 i was deep in lord of the rings fandom oh, and gosh. there was there was like mary sue fanfic all over the place where there would be like a 10th member of the fellowship and it's an original character and she's like this badass woman with violet eyes that swirled with golden sparkles and so forth and so on and she would like have wild sex with either legolas or aragorn never gimli Never Gimli. Gimli doesn't get enough appreciation. But like I don't I don't see that anymore. And I'm wondering if it's just because like we have been getting more badass female characters in our literature and like we aren't quite as like piercingly starving for that. I think it still exists. It may just be existing more on sites that skew a bit younger in their demographic than AO3. Mm, like I think true. Wattpad had a fairly high um rate of things like that. Uh, around RPF and things like that, um, which, yeah. you know, I think it's just to do with different uh, parts of fandom finding yeah. different platforms. Yeah, and that's a good Naruto point. Naruto self-inserts are a big thing on FF.net, um, but they mm. really aren't Mary Sue at all. I think like, Mary Sue is a hugely sexist label that, like, we apply to ourselves as much as have applied to, to us by dudes sometimes. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. very interesting the way that women will knock down other women or even themselves without really internalizing what we're doing yes Mm. although i don't know like i've seen a lot of like reclamation of the term mary sue like people talking about like here's what mary sue has meant in the past why is this a bad thing like we can have a mary sue character and celebrate that fact i think you're right though macy that is a really that is a driving force behind quite a few of these types of fanfics i can think of a, a couple of others that i can think of just as dot points be Mm-hmm. I think most of what Rage Proofrock does with her stories, and she does many, many, which are to do with um, sex swapping one of the central characters, is basically then saying, yes, how would the story be different yes. if this person was a woman? Very much based on how structural sexism works and how yeah. people are socialized when they are female. Uh, but I think another one is also if you identify with a male character, and obviously women are quite used to being asked to identify with male protagonists, huh. it's a way of saying – here's a way for me to make this person's life experiences more similar to my own Mm -hmm. and therefore explore the parts of this character that I find resonant uh, in a way that actually makes more sense to my own experiences. And maybe like either confront or scrub out some of the sexism in the canon that has caused them to not have competent female characters. Yeah. 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 Well, talking about that, I've talked a little bit about MCU and Tony Stark. and We've also talked a lot about Sherlock. What are the other fandoms that really cry out for this sort of fic? Because it isn't universal. No, I'm just having... Like, I, I, I've I only done this once mm, in writing mm-hmm. fanfic, and it was for Peter Pan. I mm-hmm. wrote a Yuletide fic in which 
Peter and the characters of Peter and Hook are both female. Mm -hmm. And it's because Peter Pan by J.M. Barry as a text is incredibly gender essentialist in that Mm -hmm. very late late Victorian, um, early Edwardian way. And it's got a lot to do with this idea of lost boys and how are little boys and little girls different and how are mothers and fathers different. And that's the kind of thing that just makes your hackles go up. And I wanted to just turn it on its head and say, well, okay, if you insist on everything being that gendered, what what happens if the central characters are actually on the other side of that binary? Mm-hmm. So that's what the driving force was for me. And I think for some, you're absolutely right, it's things like Sherlock that are very doodly canons or things like MCU and, and Comicsverse where so many of the prominent figures are male and it's just there are too many dicks on this dance floor. <laughs> Can we do something about that? That's what Fick is for. Yes, I, I agree 100%. Also, like, just as another trend that I have noticed lately, I have been seeing a, a huge surge of instead of writing just straight sex-swapped fic, people are writing fic about, like, I'm, I'm going to use the word gender swap and I mean it more explicitly. Um, no, I don't. No, you don't. Fuck you I, mean, no, I don't. I mean it mean the other way around. Swap. I do mean but sex swap and I mean swap. it. I mean, it's sex swap, but not gender swap. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Sorry, it's late. Um, (laughs) Yes, where a character is male identifying in canon and male identifying in the fic, but trans. Uh, And I think that that is a a trend that I am loving to see. And I'm wondering, I was like making jokes before before the podcast about how we can call this transformative work. <laughs> get it get it uh-huh. <laughs> a little well, my little joke for you <laughs> i think that there's been a lot of quote-unquote discourse around the uh quote-unquote problematicness of changing the sex and or gender of characters and so some of that i think is a little bit of a reaction of people sitting back and saying hang on a second when i say gender swap i'm not really doing a gender swap what do I mean by gender swap and yep. kind of examining that, hmm. um, which I'm behind. Yes. But I did also think there was one other type of fandom where I've seen kind of clusters of sex swap thick, and that's fandoms where there is canonical cross-dressing. Oh, interesting. Like So there's a lot of like My Chemical Romance RPF that puts Gerard Way as having been born a woman um, because... That's one of the things that Gerard has done in his life. Um, and I think also Due South had a few where Benton Fraser was a woman, maybe. And yeah. I know that Benton dressed I've up as a teacher. Those. Yeah. I think I've seen like one or two. But more more sex swap fix. Yeah. More everything. So we have a dot point here that I found very interesting, which is around profic and male-coded tropes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So whether a male-coded traditional trope, such as the grizzled general or the wise wizardly advisor, if that trope character then appears in profiction as a female character, is that a similar kind of thing? Is this something different or is it a similar kind of reimagining in the same way that the Ghostbusters were being reimagined as women? I think for me, if it's a really obvious trope, then it kind of is. Like, if you are writing a book with someone who is clearly Merlin, or his, there's kind of the one, the tea master and the detective, where clearly this is Sherlock. Mm. Um, But that's really, again, that's Sherlock, so that doesn't really count. But, like, this character is Merlin, and Merlin is a woman. But that mm. is, that's the character again. It's not the truth. I think, I think you have to make a decision if you're doing that. Mm. Are you doing it in order to show here is how that character is going to be a bit different if they are female, or here is that character presented in exactly the same way, the only difference is that they are female. So what about the second Robert Jackson Bennett book, City of Blades, where the main character is it's the grizzled woman that grizzled female general. And I haven't read all of that one yet because I got distracted halfway through and had to take it back to the library. Uh, but... To me, what Robert Jackson Bennett is doing in that one is just saying, look, I am presenting this as a straightforward grizzled general does a thing story. She just happens to be a woman. That sounds a little bit like the sp- the movie that you were talking about earlier, Salt. Yeah, yeah. I think it's sort of saying that there is no reason why this person can't do all the same things and, and fill all the same roles within the story mm. and the narrative as a woman, as they could do if it was the traditional male character. Yeah. Mm. 
I think that I would be really, really interested in seeing like the wise wizard advisor as a woman, like the Gandalf sort of, not Gandalf explicitly, but like the Gandalf position character where you have someone who is very old and very wise and kind of mysterious and not really giving everything away, um, but still essentially like kind. Mm. And, And because it can... I was thinking, like, have I ever seen this? And the only one that gets anywhere close is Granny Weatherwax. But she is much more explicitly on the, like, eccentric, grouchy old lady witch. Like, she is is that archetype. It's its own Um, thing. It is that archetype. This made me think a little bit of how poorly the Belgariad did this with Polgar the Sorceress. Yeah, they could have just had Polgar. Yes. They were like, no, 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 her dad has to exist. They got the useless dad. Yeah. The useless dad bees is like wandering around being the actual wise wizard advisor. I'm like, you've got yeah. the wise wizard advisor right yeah, here. Yeah, it's like they split Gandalf up and they're like, all the interesting shit can be done by the male one. And then we have his daughter for the emotional labor of raising the chosen one yeah. for 50 fucking generations. And just like, literally like 15 generations. She raises this child repeatedly. And I'm just like, kill me. Yeah, and she's fulfilling this like wise advisor magic role, but it's all caretaking. It's none of this going off and having adventures yeah. and being a found of wisdom. This has been your Macy and Freya shout about the Belgariad corner. <sighs> Which That's we had my... very strong feelings for as baby <laughs> teens and now have very strong feelings about in the other direction. All right. Well, I will ask you two then. What characters or pieces of media would you like to see the actual... I took this, I, I I picked up this character and I yeeted them into another cis sex. I would love to see... Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, specifically the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, flipped across the gender binary. Uh, girl I, Jesus! Girl Jesus, girl right. Jesus. So th- doing this makes Aslan more interesting. It makes the White Witch more interesting. It makes the Professor more interesting. It makes Peter and Susan more interesting. Because then you have, like, strong, like, golden-haired leader woman. And, oh, no. um, oh, no. like, sort of very Ravenclaw- uh, nurturing mother of the group, uh, big brother, uh, and unfortunately makes Edmund and Mr. Tumnus a little bit less interesting, and it more because Edmund is sort of the uh, what? You could, What'd you say? They could still be queer. I mean, they can still be queer, but like Edmund is then it's much more about original sin, like Edmund's mm. temptation with the sure. the White Witch, sure, and yes, it's. You're right. And it's about, like, a woman ruining everything for everybody, right? I um, also now really want this new Peter to be played by Claire from The Baking Show. <laughs> sure, sure, great. Uh, and also, I just want to add another thing. Lucy is perfect in any universe. And as any sex and any gender, fight me. I won't. I think you're right. I think you're right in that the elder siblings being swapped would be interesting. But once you swap Edmund and Lucy, then you end up with original sin and the young plucky boy saves us all. Yeah, 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 that's true. So just don't swap those two. That's true. Yeah, Leave swap everybody two. except Edmund and Lucy. Yeah. There oh we go. God. How about you, Freya? What would you sex swap? I would like to see every single Jane Austen romance <gasps> redone with lesbians, please. Can I have a Lady Darcy? Yes, I would like oh. Lady Darcy. I would like... Oh. Yeah, I would like Lady Captain Wentworth, Ooh. especially. Yeah. <laughs> oh my huh. gosh, Lady. Yeah, all, lady of, them, Captain... all of the ones from that period. Jane Eyre. Actually, I've, uh, yeah, Lady Rochester would be quite hilarious. Lady Rochester? Lady Rochester. Like her lady wife in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I think like, I would be happy to see them done as period pieces. I would, I would be happy to see them done as period pieces where you just wipe out period typical homophobia and just have yeah. them. This is how it is. How yep. it is. Or um, modern day reimaginings. I am sure someone has done a modern day Pride and Prejudice with lesbians and I need someone to show it to me immediately my friend is That's writing true. a pride and prejudice retelling at the moment where um bingley and jane are lesbians and it is pretty adorable oh, cute oh no because they are Be- such like they because are so many they are such tropes. disaster lesbian tropes and they like they meet and then they that. like and they 
meet, they fall in love, and then they like move in a month later, and all their families are like, oh my god, you whore lesbians. Everybody <laughs> slow down. So Lizzie and Darcy are like trying to haul their best friend and sister, respectively, away from moving in immediately with this person <laughs> that they've just met, and like no. glaring at each other, being like, keep That's your person away from my person. Lady uh, Bingley is such a golden retriever. Yes, That's adorable. so that is something my friend is writing, and it's going to be glorious when it's done. But in the meantime, any and all modern day Austin retellings with lesbians, that is what I would like. Thank you. Hey everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. So we talked a little bit about female reimaginings of canon this week, and as you might have gathered, I have some deep feelings about, you know, women getting to exist in some of these properties. And I think this is just one of the ways that fandom pushes back against certain assumptions about who can have what kind of story and what kind of adventure. But anyway, we have some even more exciting topics to talk about in upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence on December 4th, we'll be discussing enemies to lovers, our favourite trope. If you want to prepare in advance, one of the tentpoles for that episode is Prince's Gambit by C.S. Pacat. So if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com at Serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation in our fan Discord chat, which is linked on the About the Show page of our website. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. And, by the way, in all seriousness, gender is what you make of it. And I think that you're doing great at that, even when it's hard. So keep it up. <laughs>